We're so glad you've joined us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story with us at pastor at relevant316.com. If you would also like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at relevant316.com. There you can select a giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Did you guys have a good one? Who had some greens up in this place? I need to see all the black people. Look at you guys. Who has some tamales in this joint? Where the tamale lovers at? Okay, three of you guys. Did you bring me any? Wow, okay, okay. Um, house crew, can we go ahead and escort some of these people? No, I'm just kidding. But man, my Thanksgiving was awesome. Um, it was actually a very special Thanksgiving um, because for, for a son that's coming from a broken home, this meant so much to me for that the first time in my 24 years of living, I got to experience Thanksgiving with both my biological parents in the same house, and it blessed me so much. It blessed me so much. I'll never forget the first time that we actually all came together as one. We were at, I believe it was the Regal Movie Theater, and for the first time, it was my mom, myself, and my dad, and we were all praising God together, and it has just blessed me so much to see restoration take place here at Relevant Church with my family. So I no longer say I have a broken family because God has restored it. Amen. We just got a little bit bigger. That's all. That's all. But here's the thing. My, my favorite part of Thanksgiving is not the food. Even though I love food, I smashed about like five plates. But my favorite thing about Thanksgiving is not the food. My favorite thing about Thanksgiving is when, after a while, everybody will start migrating to the living room. And they'll kind of form a circle. And then the stories come out. Yeah. That's when you get to really learn about your parents. Like, wow, you guys are jacked up too. I've been lied to. But um, it was just beautiful this Thanksgiving because I'm at the point in my life where I could be straight up, brutally honest with my parents. I have a kid now. I'm not holding nothing back. I told them how many times I took their car out, how many times I had parties at their house when they were not there. I told them about everything. And it was funny because as I was telling these stories, I noticed my dad, his fist began to ball up a little bit. And I was starting to get nervous. I mean, go ahead, dad. Put your hand up. That's my dad right there. That's the black Terminator right there, Arnold Schwartz Negro. That's my, that, but that's my hero right there, y'all. <laughs> that is my hero right there. I think he left after we started telling stories. He's like, you know what, I'm out. I cannot take this anymore. This kid went to a private school. I'm sorry, Dad. I was a hood rat in the suburbs. I don't know. I don't know how you could be a thug in Orange Terrace, but I tried to do it. But it's, it's interesting, though, as we were starting to share some of our stories, my sister, Dominique, uh, she was here first service. She was like, man, it is crazy how many chances God has given you. Like, not that many people get that chances. They make one bad mistake, and then everything goes south from there. But for some reason, God gave you multiple chances. He must have been, he must have been looking out for you. And what I realized is that when God has a plan and purpose for your life, there is nothing that the enemy can do. There's nothing that your family can do to stop his purpose from playing out in your life. And I just want to let you know there is a plan and purpose for your life. You may not see it now, but just hang on tight. I'm sure God is going to reveal that to you because he uses the broken and he uses the people that are not perfect. Amen. So thinking about that idea, 
I realized that like we can put our trust and our hope in God because he is able to do what his word says, but we also have to put our hope in him that he's able to do those same exact things in the lives of others. And I think that sometimes so easily we lose hope in others because we see their superficial actions and maybe their bad habits in their past and we end up kind of just writing them off. You know, they're just stuck in their ways. But you guys heard the saying before, they say, don't judge a book by its don't judge a book by it. See, that reminds me. I remember I was in this thing called high school. I wasn't good at it, but I did it. I was in this thing called high school not too long ago, actually. And um, I had a freshman class. It was called Intro to Literature. And I had a teacher. His name was Mr. Hall. He kind of looked like Mr. Incredible with just brown hair, just big dude. He was a water polo coach, but looked like a, a football player. And I remember we had our year-end book report, and I didn't read much. So I was like, man, I don't even know what I should read. But he suggested a book. He was like, hey, you should check out Chronicles of Narnia. I was like, one thing, what's a Narnia? And two, I'm too young to be smoking. You could take your Chronicles and keep those over there. I don't want none of that, sir. Okay? But he was like, okay, yeah, check out this book. And I was like, okay, it sounds dumb. But whatever, I'll check it out. And I remember the first week I read through the intro a little bit. I got about to about chapter two, and I came back the next week, and I was like, yo, Mr. Hall, this book makes absolutely no sense. I still don't know what a Narnia is, and nothing is making sense here. But he was like, man, you just got to hold on, because sometime with books, it may not make sense in the beginning, but if you just hold on a little bit in the, towards the later chapters, it will start to reveal itself. You just got to hold on. It might not make sense in the beginning, but if you just stick with it, you'll see how good this book really is. And I believe that sometimes, and the lives of others, we're quick to close the book on other people's lives when God isn't finished writing their story. We're quick to look at the first few chapters of their lives and see addictions and see bad habits and be like, oh, you know what? I know where this story is headed. But if you would have kept up until chapter nine, you would have seen that God decided to show up. So this morning, I want to talk about having hope in others because I believe we all have somebody in our life, whether it's a parent, whether it's a sibling, whether it's a coworker, or whether you're just on Facebook too much where you just given up hope on them and you don't see God working. But I just want to challenge you that when you put your hope in God, you could put your hope in others as well because God is able to transform anybody's life and he does it in a powerful way. So I want to encourage you guys this morning to not lose hope in that person you feel like God is just not working in their lives. The title of my message this morning is Don't Count Them Out. Don't count them out. I'm going to go ahead and pray and we will just go ahead and dive right in. God, I just thank you so much for this rich opportunity to preach your gospel, Father. I pray that I step completely out the way and let you do your work here, Father. I thank you for the work that you're doing in everyone's lives here, God. And I pray that this morning we are encouraged, God, to place our hope in you and have hope for others, God. Not losing hope in humanity because you didn't lose hope in us, God. So we thank you, God, for all the other churches that are preaching your gospel this morning, God. We thank you for all the lives that are going to be saved this morning and throughout the upcoming weeks and time, God. We thank you so much, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Go ahead and turn on your Bibles or turn, turn to your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Go ahead and say amen when you get there. If not, say hold up. All right. I'll wait. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And it starts like this. It says, But Saul... 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and uh, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. My first point for you this morning, my first point for you this morning is hope is the light that interrupts the darkness in our lives. Hope is the light that interrupts the darkness in our lives. So just to give you a little bit of context of what's going on here in the book of Acts. See, the book of Acts begins with Jesus ascending into heaven after he was resurrected from the grave and the disciples start to come together and all the believers and what you see is the birth of the church. And what's beautiful is that this church begins to grow rapidly. And it says, one thing I love about this church is it says that the church was known according to Acts 2 verse 47, it says the church was known for praising God and having favor with all, somebody say all, all the people. See, look, I went to Bible college. I didn't finish. I got like one more class. I'm technically a Bible college dropout, but it's okay. But I'm convinced that that word all in the Greek means all. So what's beautiful about this is that anytime someone outside the church had an encounter with this church, what they experienced was grace. And I just think that's so amazing because sometimes You'll hear about these churches that when people don't look the same way as they do or talk the same way as they do or dress the same way as they do, what they experience is is this wall instead of this welcoming grace. So I'm convinced right here, like, wow, okay, this church must have been known as relevant church. They probably just didn't say it in the Bible, but that must have been relevant church. Sorry, y'all, I just love my church. But I love the fact that they had favor with all the people just as God has called us to. And what you'll see here is that um, yeah, as the uh, numbers of believers began to grow within the church, uh, there were some who were part of different synagogues who began to dispute with people of this church, and they began to bring false claims and accusations against this church to the high priest who was the local governing authority at the time, and persecution broke out. And what persecution means is that the church was literally under Attack! People had to leave their homes. People were getting dragged off to jail. And one of the young men who were leading out this persecution against the church was a young man named Saul. But see, it's interesting because I, I believe that at this moment in time, the devil probably had a little smirk on his face like, yeah, you know, the church just got persecuted. That's a win in my book. But how many know that the devil's been trying to stop God's plans for years and he has not been able to for the last couple thousands of years? God's plans are always going to stand and there is nothing that the devil can do to stop them because what this persecution led to was the expansion of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. The devil thought he had a leg up, but God just decided to stump him. It's beautiful. So we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 9. And I I love this opening verse that it says that, 
But Saul, still breathing threats and murders, with still evil in his heart and evil on his mind, God decided to show a light from heaven all around him in his life. I love the fact that the author used the word suddenly, because what that means is that what happened right here in Saul's life, this light shining around him and God intervening, is that it was unexpected. It was unlikely. Nobody could have seen it coming. Nobody was thinking about this. Nobody believed this was going to happen, kind of like the Dodgers winning the World Series. Praise God. Come on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, all Dodgers fans. Do not beat me. If I see one of y'all waiting across from my car, y'all see my dad, right? Black Terminator, don't mess with me. (laughs) But nobody's seen this coming. And I mean, they had the right to because Saul was literally known for hurting those of the church. But I love the fact that God decides decides to use those who are broken and he uses those who are not perfect. And he intervened in Saul's life and he literally interrupted his way with his grace. It's funny because Saul was on his way to Damascus to hurt those who believed in Jesus, but what he did not know is that God was going to use him to start preaching Jesus. And I think that God's plan is amazing, and the way it stood out here is that God decides to do this all by himself. It's not like the church was holding a a Wednesday night prayer meeting saying like, oh man, we got to pray for Saul so he can convert. There's no record of that. God decided to intervene in his life when the timing was right. My buddy Tim over there in house school, he just told me, he was like, listen, God is never early and he's never late. He is always right on time. And this plan for Saul's life was a part of God's plans before the foundations of the world. I love the fact that God interrupted his life with grace. Question for you guys. What if we begin to interrupt the lives of those around us with grace? Do you think we'd start to see some change? Because I think about this and I'm like... Man, being married, hold on, let me think about this real quick. Okay, I'll be honest. I know there's some mommy regroup girls up in here. Do not throw rocks at me, but I'm going to be brutally honest with you guys. So for the time I've been married, a little over a year and a half, I've realized that I could spend a lot of time wishing my wife was one way or another instead of loving her for who she is. Just being honest with you guys. Like, it got so bad. I mean, when we had the baby, everything was beautiful. We brought the baby home. There was like 30 people at the hospitals. Everyone's taking selfies when my daughter's rolling by. And then we got home, and I noticed, like, a clan was starting to form, and I wasn't a part of it. I noticed. I I thought my wife and the baby were, like, conspiring against me. I'd walk in sometimes. I'm like, oh, she's getting milky. Can I get some dinner? Oh, Wendy's? Okay, I'm going to just go get some food. You want want anything? Dang it. (laughs) And even with my wife, she has to put up with me, too, because I'm that guy where, let's just say this is a a pair of dirty socks. The hamper's right there. For some reason, I don't know why my socks always end up right there. The hamper's right there. I don't know. I need to work on my jumper a little bit, but I just never make it in. And I remember I had to meet up with uh, my man, Matt Hagberg, the guru, and I was like, yo, marriage, help. What do we do? And he asked me, he was like, well... Every time you're frustrated, I mean, like, anytime there's issues, how do you respond? And I was like, I either respond frustrated or I don't respond at all. And he was like, try responding with grace. Because here's the thing. When we start to interrupt people's lives with grace, it will start to change the atmosphere because grace is not something you can earn, and we can't, we can't only do it when it's, when it's in our convenience to do so. So when we start interrupting people's lives with grace, you will start to see change. See, the point is this. The way that Jesus interrupts our shortcomings and our mess with grace should be the same way we strive to do in the lives of others. So the second part of this, it talks about this light, this light. It said that a light 
shone from heaven all around Saul. And what you'll find is that Saul, who later becomes known as Paul, who writes two-thirds of the Testament, in his epistles to the churches, he often makes a contrast between light and the darkness. And see, a characteristic of light is that it exposes what's in the dark. But see, we got a problem with that. We don't like being exposed. We, we really don't, or else you'd be exposing all your bad stuff on Instagram. But no, you've you got you to gotta post the, per, the perfect selfie. But nobody knows that it takes 72 times to get that selfie right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's funny, like, we even have multi-billion dollar companies who are in the business of literally exposing others. No wonder why we don't like being exposed. We see what it does to people. See, I remember this time when... Uh, me and my wife, we had just got married, got married here. It was an awesome night, and um, we got a place in Reno Valley. It was a townhome, two-bedroom, two-car garage. Man, it was awesome. Like, I, I thought I was on. And uh, we had a year lease, and what happens is when you first sign up, you have to put a deposit down. So it's getting towards the end of our lease, and what happens is that the landlord comes and does an inspection, and if he finds any damages... Uh, he'll actually deduct that from the deposit. And here's the thing. You can't give two young adults white carpet because we're going to mess that mug up. I mean, I'm not saying we was ratchet, but we used to have a lot of friends over every weekend. You know what I'm saying? So that, that carpet had like some red Kool-Aid over here, some food over there. It, it turned tan by the time we was done with it. And I remember the landlord, the landlord was uh, coming by, and I set it up perfectly. I was like, hey, meet me at the house at 6. We already moved out by then, but I was like, meet me at the house at 6. We'll go ahead and do the inspection. So the landlord walks in, he goes to hit the light. Hey, what's wrong with the light? Oh, yeah, you know, I go ahead, I, I went and uh, cut the electricity because we're not living here anymore. Because, hey, in the dark, he's not able to see how jacked up that carpet was. Yeah, that landlord thought he was lording my deposit. No, sir. <laughs> I remember he was so mad, he had his phone, he was trying to find all the spots. He's like, man, this kid, I had one up on him, y'all, I cut the power off. <laughs> but if you think about it, I think a lot of us are afraid of exposing what's in the dark because we're afraid of losing the deposit or the investment we've made in other people for them to see us a certain way, right? We're afraid of losing that deposit. But here's the thing. The light of God is not meant to shame you for your past. The light of God is not meant to embarrass you or to bring up your past and condemn you and use it against you. Listen, I know there might be people in here where you were vulnerable with somebody and they took your past and your, and your pains and used it against you, but that's not God's mission. He puts a light in your life to guide you, not shame you. If anything, he puts a light in your life to expose his goodness, his love, and his mercy, and his glory, not to expose you for your past. God's light is meant to guide you. And as we keep reading here in Acts 9, we're now in verse 7. It says that the men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Hearing the voice but seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drink. drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. 
But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, gossiper. I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said, sorry, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Point number two. Point number two is this. Hope doesn't look to accuse others. Hope does not look does not um, look to accuse others. See, it's interesting, right? Ananias thought that he was going to accuse Saul to God, not knowing that God knows everything. God knew exactly who he was using in Saul, and Ananias thought it'd be a good fit to start accusing him. But here's the issue with accusation: is that it imputes or it, or it casts shame and guilt on somebody's life, and it leaves them feeling guilty. But God never called us to stand in that position and judge others. He called us to be children of God looking for our lost brothers and sisters to bring them back home. But for some reason, Ananias thought it'd be good to accuse Saul of what he was doing. Now, it's funny that God is asking Ananias to go and pray for Saul so that he might regain his sight. But I'm convinced here that Saul isn't the only blind one here. See, Ananias was blind too because he was stuck looking toward Saul's past when God was trying to get him to look towards Saul's future. And I think for a lot of us, for people in our lives, when we get, when we get stuck in their past, we will always be blind to what God can do for their future. God has called us to look forward, not back. Forward with a future with God, not back in a past without him. And see, it's funny because... God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins to save people. But what makes us think that we've been sent here to accuse people? That was never our position. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, that, that job position already is taken, by the way. It says that in Revelations 12 that Satan stands before God and accuses God's people day and night. So why are we trying to do what Satan is already doing? That's not our position. It's interesting. But see, the reason why accusations cannot, cannot stand against children of God, it's because God's grace covers us. There's, a, there's a, a layer of grace that literally doesn't allow accusations to stand against us because God has given us enough grace that every time we fall, we can get back up. And I'll make it plain to you guys. Uh, Raven and Gabby, can I call you guys up here real quick? I just got a few questions for you guys. Don't be nervous. Let's give it up for them. Let's give it up for them one time. Yeah, I have some questions for y'all. Y'all don't have boyfriend or girlfriends, right? You shouldn't. Stay away from them. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so you guys have moms, right? Who, who, who's your mother? Shamika Tankerson. Shout out. <laughs> um, Carmen McGowan Paul. Got you, got you. So I've been doing a case study recently, right? And I think I'm right. I th I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I convinced myself. I'm convinced that... No, no disrespect to the military, but I'm convinced that Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, nuclear weapons are not the most dangerous things on the planet. I think that moms are the most dangerous people on the planet. And it gets worse because you got aunties. Listen, there's some T.I.s in here that if you mess with their mija or their mijo, they go loco. You know what I'm saying? 
You got to watch out for the tia. She'll come get you. Monica knows what I'm talking about. Look, she got the blade right on. And she said, yeah, don't mess with my mijas. But here's the thing. I'm convinced that they're the most dangerous people on the planet. Why? Because if you mess with their kids, I, won't, I can't say the rest because I can't cuss in church. If you mess with their kids, it might be problems. So let me ask you, what happens if somebody messes with Raven? What, what do you think your mom would do? Uh, <laughs> well, if I couldn't handle it myself, my mom would probably try and talk it out with them before she resorted to violence. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. What about you, Gabby? Um, I feel like, it, like Raven said, if I can't do it, I feel like she would talk me into doing it myself. Like, you got to do this, blah, blah, blah. Or if, like, she'll make scenarios of, like, oh, if this, someone's doing this to you, do this. And, yeah. But if you couldn't handle it, she's willing to step into the plate. Right? Maybe. I no, I'm for, I know your mom. She for sure is. And it, it don't matter if they're seven feet tall. It doesn't matter if they're the biggest dude on the block. There are some moms who are down to get local. Thank you, guys. Let's give it up for them. Let's give it up for them. And see, the reason why I asked that is because I realized within my own life, even though I made a lot of dumb mistakes, my disposi- the disposition of my parents, them seeing me as son, never changed. Here's the thing. The cops could have called me a thief. The teachers could have said drop out. Some of the ladies would have said player. Holla if you hear me. <laughs> and there would have been a lot of other people who have a lot, mo- a lot much more to say. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, no matter what someone had to call me, my parents always seen me as son because I have a position with them that I did not earn and I cannot lose. And I just want to make it clear to you guys today, like, listen, you have a father in heaven note that no matter how many times you fall, no matter how many times you mess up, no matter how many mistakes you make, there is enough grace to get you back up because he is your father. You didn't earn the position as son and you cannot lose it. He covers you. God's grace covers us. So the accusations, they cannot work. They cannot stand against us. All right. And picking back up in verse 17, it says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Isn't it interesting? Before in these past verse, he was just accusing him of being an enemy of the church, and now his disposition has changed, and now he's calling him brother. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales left from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized, and taking some tamales, he ate them, and he was strengthened. Point number three, hope changes our perspective on people. Hope changes our perspective on people. See, I started to think like, why would God even need to use Ananias in this situation? God could have done this, this miracle in Saul's life all by himself. Why did God need to use Ananias? And I simply believe it's because God has called the church to be a blessing in the lives of others. See, I know God has done miracles in your lives individually, but he has also called you to be a miracle worker in the lives of others. You'll find out that this thing called church is way more bigger than ourselves, but it transcends out of ourselves, and we're constantly looking for the one. And see, as people of hope, God has called us uh, to be a blessing to to others and that in 
Anytime somebody comes in our proximity, they are blessed. But here's the thing. You can't be a blessing to others if your perspective on people sees them as opposition instead of opportunity. And I believe that in the gospel, Jesus spends a lot of time trying to reshape our perspective on people and not allow them or or not allow us to see them as enemies, but to always see them as opportunity to be loved on. You'll see that he makes references where he says, uh, love your neighbors and pray for those who persecute you. That don't make no sense. What do you mean, God? He's trying to reshape our perspective on people because here's the thing. We don't battle with flesh and blood. Your, your, your parents, your spouse, your coworkers, the people on Facebook, they're not your enemy. There are some spiritual forces behind that that are influencing actions, and sometimes we like to respond in superficial ways instead of responding the way God has called us to, which is through love. Because it's interesting, it says this. It says in the Bible that the kindness of God leads man to repentance Not the condemnation of man, not guilting man, not looking at his past and saying, oh, listen, you've done this. That's not what leads man to repentance. It's the kindness of God. we got to start interrupting the lives of those around us with grace so we can start seeing some change. Amen? Amen? Our hope changes our perspective on people. See, it's interesting, right? Um... When you first get saved, like, there's this, like, burning question inside of you of, like, God, what if you, what if you called me to do, God? What is it? Write it on the wall for me, God. What if you called me to do? I'm going to help somebody out here right now. I'm going to make it real simple. Your calling is people. If you're wondering right now why you're stuck where you're at, it's because God has called you to love on some people, but you're letting them be the barrier rather than the opportunity to get to the next level God has called you to. God has called us to people. It's bigger than yourselves. I want to go ahead and call up my nephew, uh, Jason Smith. Can you go ahead and roll up here, big dog? Give it up for my nephew one time. He's a handsome dude. Come on, run, run, run. Show me them Nikes work. Yeah. Oh, you got some Vans on? That's cool. <laughs> so this is my nephew, Jason Smith. Let me tell you something. On April 18, 2005, my life changed because my mother had her first grandson, and I was kicked to the curb. Because, like, I was the only boy in the family. Like, my feet never touched the ground. I got all sisters. Like, I was the chosen one for a little bit. And then here comes this guy. But he's awesome, though. Because here's the thing. In our, especially in our family, there's a lot of fatherlessness going on. And I've seen it, um, you know, in my parents' lives and in my cousins' lives and my sisters' lives and my grandparents' lives, the absentee of a father. And... I think one of the situations that hurt me the most is that I got to see my nephew experience that as well. Um, it, it was tough. One of the things that used to get me the most is that, like, my mom, she'd go to the grocery store with him, and she would come back and tell me that, you know, he's seen another dad playing with his child, and he was like, man, I wish I had that too. He never asked to be born into a situation like that, but he had to experience. And... I remember I had so much hatred and so much anger built up for his dad. Like, I would, <laughs> I would send him random hate texts. Like, I just want you to know you suck. I just want you to know that you are a no good, good for nothing. I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. And I remember my wife used to get on me like, you can't, you, you can't do that to people. But I just had so much anger because I'm like, he doesn't deserve something like this. 
And I remember there was one time where I was at work. Sorry if my breath stinks. Do I need a testament? I needed to stop doing my testimony and get a testament. There was one time where I was at work. <laughs> one time I was at work and I got a call. Um, it was actually from my sister that uh, his dad was in a, a pretty bad car accident. And the vehicle actually flipped three times, and he was unconscious. His head was swelling. Uh, they had to drill in his head to try to relieve pressure, and they were thinking he wasn't going to make it. Matter of fact, I remember them having multiple conversations with his wife saying, you know, there might be a situation where the plug may have to be pulled, and if he does come back, he'll never walk or talk again. But it's crazy because I got a text from his dad. I would say about a month ago, I was chilling at the house, and he got my number, and he was like, hey, I found your number in my iPad. Um, I know this is crazy. I think it's a God thing. And I was like, man, how are you doing? And he, and he told me, he was like, the doctors would never believe what type of recovery I had. I remember them telling my wife to pull the plug or that she might have to or that I would never be able to walk or talk again. But let me tell you, Kevin, when they fully restore my voice, they won't be able to stop me from preaching the gospel. And it blessed me so much to hear that. But there was also this conviction because the whole time I was looking at his father as an enemy when God was looking at him as a vessel. And it, it kind of just hurt me to have that mindset. But I realized that... You can't ever give up hope on people because God is willing to use anybody. And one thing that blessed me so much that I learned through this guy is uh, yesterday we were going over my message and I was asking him if I can share that story. And he told me, he was like, I'm ready to rebuild with my dad. I have hope. And it blessed me so much to hear that from this guy that he is willing to rebuild even though there's past pain. And I learned hope from you, man. So I just thank you so much for that, bro. Thank you for that. Through that, situa through that situation, I learned that you cannot count anybody out because God is willing to use anybody and he has a purpose and plan for anybody that even though you may not see it, he is working on the back end. But he's called us to be a people of hope. Point number four. We are the church of hope. We are the church of hope. See, I think back to, I remember I was reading recently through the Gospels and I was reading about uh, the this, this story about uh, where Jesus was praying at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he told God, like, not my will, but your will be done. And it shocked me to think that God or Jesus Christ himself was going to go through so much crap from people where on his way to be crucified... People were going to be slandering his name, throwing rocks, throwing shade at him. And even while he was hanging at the cross, people were still bashing him. And one of the most powerful things I ever read is when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, not everybody in the world is going to accept Jesus Christ. But for the ones that did, he's seen that as that was worth dying for. Like the people that were going to be brought into the family of God, he's seen them as worth dying for. He had hope in humanity. And I remember a verse, Romans 5, 2, it says that through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Believers, we have to stop acting like there's not enough room for the grace that we stand in. There's enough room for anybody. There's enough room for anybody and in including the mess that they brought with them because his grace is abundant. And I just want you to think about that person that you may have been losing hope in and you may have been getting frustrated with and you may have been thinking like, 
you know, they're just stuck in their ways. But I just want to encourage you in the fact that, listen, if there is still breath in their body, God is not done working. We have to have hope as the people of God. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Relevant Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. 